Theorizing that podcast audiences wanted to listen to two grown men talk about time travel, Nate Bowden and Brian Martin started a show dedicated to Quantum Leap. Together, they explore NBC's revival of the franchise, starring Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett, and its connections to the original series. They also examine spin-offs, such as novels and comics, as well as some mirror images in the form of television shows and movies that share creative DNA with the adventures of Sam Beckett and Ben Song. And so Nate and Brian find themselves leaping from topic to topic, striving to make sense of it all, and hoping each time that their next episode will be the one that goes viral. Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast, usually. (laughs) My name is Nate, and the TARDIS to my hair is Brian Martin. Oof. That was the best I could come up with. Rate that one on a scale of one to five, listeners. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Yeah, how was your holiday? Oh, uh... A little chit-chat up front. I don't know what to make of it, man. You know, I spent... (laughs) (laughs) Family, food, who's to say? Every time I cart my family back to the house I grew up in, that house feels smaller than it ever has before. Yeah. And it's definitely the truth this time. Had a very energetic dog, had a very energetic five-year-old. Yeah, A a fairly lethargic wife. (laughs) (laughs) So she was treating the holiday right. That's what it sounds like to me. I feel like she did, yeah. What a weekend. How was yours? Yeah, it was pretty good. I lived next door to my mother-in-law, so we had Thanksgiving over there, had two ovens running. Double oven? Uh, just to warm stuff up, we actually uh, ordered our food this year. Ah, KFC. <laughs> <laughs> we went a little high-end. It was, what's for dinner? That's not a plug, folks. No sponsorships here. But Beef? place called What's for Dinner. They like oh. sell pre-made food dinners and whatnot. And they don't just sell beef? No, not just beef. Because beef is what's for dinner. That, we all saw yeah. the commercials. <laughs> well, maybe those of you who are too young didn't see the commercials. I saw the commercials. I knew where you were going. Had that nice rendition of uh, what is it called? Hoedown? Or what's the name of that song? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so December 6th. So we've got one extra week here. And the we good didn't news, want to go without content. And the good news <laughs> is that everybody's favorite time travel sci-fi series has returned, uh, and that's Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, I thought we were going with Loki. Um, no, Loki's we, over now, and I still haven't seen a single episode of it. We'll have to get there at some point. But yeah, oh, sure, so there, sure. there was a Doctor Who special on Disney Plus, for those of you who have it, and these days who doesn't. And we thought, yeah, why not? What did you call it? Creative DNA is shared. I mean, yeah, <laughs> sort of. kind of <laughs> in the in the vaguest sense. Doctor Who is at times a time travel adventure show, right? Uh, it's and uh, it's fairly. Sam Beckett is a doctor. Is a doctor. <laughs> yeah, that's got we got those in common. There are companions involved now. Usually, those companions are not holograms. But fair, uh, enough. fair enough. You can't travel through time without a willing partner, guys. Is the thesis of both uh, yeah, of I these shows? I, yeah, I guess I didn't even really tie that together. It is kind of like a partnership show, you know. Like the deal with the Doctor is that he always needs a companion, or okay. else he just goes to dark places. 
Like Batman. Or she. Yeah, kind of like Batman and Robin. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really good examples of this in uh, fiction. Sure. Everybody needs a good companion, guys. Everybody and, and needs doctor, a friend. The Doctor is back with one of the best right now. Now, uh, Nate, we've talked about Doctor Who periodically on this show. Mostly, I've brought it up in reference to current new Quantum Leap's season-long arcs. Right. Sure. Where right. certain elements come back and there's these threads that kind of carry through through the whole first season. Yeah. Um, think... Doctor Who pulls these things together much better than season one of Quantum Leap did, I would say. <laughs> but it also has the benefit of being able to plan the thing out minute to minute and not have to, oh, suddenly I've got two more episodes to tack on to it or, or what have you. That's fair. I think the first time you really brought it up was to illustrate the fact that each of the things that Ben Song had experienced throughout the episodes of season one. We kind of had a trip back through those scenarios a little bit. I think we made it back to the West. We went back to the insane asylum. Uh, we went the, back to the battleship. The battleship. Yep. And I think there was something about the boxer in there too, maybe. I don't think so. I think I just, in relation to him punching people, <laughs> he didn't go back to that leap. There though. wasn't something about. No, he didn't go back there. But he only went back. Said... They only went back to the leaps that he and Martinez were on together. Right, uh, right. In Doctor Who, most seasons, even the most disparate elements that don't seem to have any relevance to other episodes, tend to coalesce at the end of the season and produce some sort of big revelation about. Oh, there was an undercurrent to all of this. There was a point hmm. to all okay. of this, and it tends to be pretty cool even if it's just characters you didn't think you'd see again popping back up so the point is i've brought it up we know nate that you have very little experience with doctor who so i want to kind of get started here we are talking today about the first of three brand new doctor who specials this one is oh. titled the star beast and i think a lot of people out there like myself are excited about this one because it's the return of david tennant to the role of the doctor after something like well, 10 years, really, because he was in the 50th anniversary special, but consistently in this role for any mm -hmm. length of time in about 15 years. Oh, okay. So, so it's been a while since David Tennant has been the Doctor. So there are going to be three of these? There's going to be three specials ah. between now and, I think, mid-December, maybe early December, mid-December. They might be yeah, every week. Okay. But the deal with the Doctor is that... You know, the Doctor regenerates periodically. I, I want to just underscore this because David Tennant is returning to the role not as the 10th Doctor, but as the 14th Doctor. So there's a mystery as to why him, why now? And also there's the, oh boy, I'm glad David Tennant is back. That is bringing me back to this show. But okay. before we get too deep into it and the lore and stuff, which I'm happy to talk about, Nate, what is your understanding and experience <laughs> with Doctor Who? Well... I took a second and wrote down all of the things that I knew about Doctor Who before I watched this special. Oh, cool. All right. Okay. So these are the things that I already knew about Doctor Who. I knew about the call box okay. called the TARDIS. I knew that it was bigger on the inside than it was outside. Yep. Okay. 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 And I knew that it was a time travel, space travel kind of show and like it was a spaceship basically. Yes. Uh, and also somehow a time machine or something like that. 
I knew that the doctor regenerated, which you just mentioned. Okay. So I knew that all of the shows and all of the doctors, all of the people who have played the doctor, it's all canonical to one story because each actor is actually just a new personification of Doctor Who. Right? Yes. Yes. And David Tennant is the only actor that I'm familiar with <laughs> from having done it, but only because he was the purple man in Jessica On Jones. Jessica Jones, yes. So that's the only doctor I know, except that I know the most recent doctor prior to David Tennant's return was a woman. Yes, Jodie Whittaker. Yeah. Yeah. So my understanding is that was kind of a big deal. It was the first time it had been played by a woman. People didn't know that he could become a woman. We reached a point about 10 years ago where the doctor being a woman became an inevitability. And mm. I think everybody expected the 11th doctor, played by Matt Smith, to regenerate into a woman. But instead, he regenerated into Peter Capaldi, who is an older gentleman. And then Peter Capaldi's doctor regenerated into Jodie Whittaker okay. as the first female doctor. Yeah, people are pushing for James Bond to be a woman or an African-American or something different and new and fresh. Yeah, and the Doctor presents a more unique opportunity to explore something like that by nature of the fact that this is the same character, right? The Doctor right. has always been the Doctor. What changes is the Doctor's face and the Doctor's personality. With every new okay. iteration, you have an actor coming in that can turn that role into their own. But at the end of the day, this is still the same character we saw in 1963 for the right. first time. Or somebody okay. saw in 1963 for the first time. <laughs> so it's a very unique show in that regard. I can't think of many that allow you to achieve something like that. Sure. Where the actors switching out are part of the narrative. You know, there's always been, speaking of James Bond, there's always been this theory that maybe James Bond is a title. And it, we're not seeing stories about the same character. We're seeing this was James Bond and then... Timothy Dalton was James Bond and George Lazenby was James Bond. You know, like all of these different right. people are different iterations of the same character. And there's a couple things in the canonical James Bond films that contradict that. Right. But it's easy to overlook those things, especially I think this kind of heated up when Daniel Craig took over the role. And right. you have a hard time reconciling the fact that Judi Dench is still M, but James Bond is clearly just starting out, even though she's older. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so it became a fun thing to think about, I think. But there's nothing in the movies that necessarily points to that being the case. With the doctor, it's like this is very clearly the same character. He turns into this. He turns into this. He turns into this. As far as personality is concerned and the character and the actor, is it similar to Trills on Star Trek, where it's a symbiotic relationship between these two beings in Star Trek? So, for example, Jadzia Dax had personality traits from the prior host. Ezra Dax? Or who was Ezra the... was the replacement to Jadzia. It was, was Curzon. Curzon Dax was the first. Curzon Dax was... The one that Cisco knew. Right. And yes. Cisco knew him as an old man and then had to get used to knowing her as a young woman. But they had shared personalities in a way. And memories, memories, like experiences, things like that. Things yeah. like that. But, but the personality changed from person to person. I, yeah, you know, now that you explained it, I was ready to say, no, it's nothing like that, but it actually is quite a bit like that. <laughs> well, I guess what I was driving at is, obviously the character has those same memories, but does this most recent doctor have 
any similarities in personality to like David Tennant's doctor or Matt Smith's or any of these other is there okay. like a through thread that those actors are supposed to incorporate? No. Okay. So they can <laughs> I would just say no. Do whatever I, they want. There are some doctors are very cold and calculating, others are very flamboyant and goofy. Okay. It really is up to I guess the showrunners, but I feel like there's a real collaboration with the performers because they tend to bring out the qualities that suit that actor the best. Right. Right. Well, you mentioned showrunners, and that was another thing that I knew about Doctor Who was that it was run by Stephen Moffat, who was also had brought Sherlock to life on Correct. the BBC. Yes, yes. Stephen and Moffat. I was a huge fan of the Sherlock series, which made me at one point think, oh, well, maybe Doctor Who is <laughs> pretty good, because for me, it was mostly notorious for terrible special effects. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, like, it is television. Right. You know, we talk a lot about, especially early on when Quantum Leap started, about the effects being very network TV. And it's not like we're experiencing this in the volume where they film all the Disney Plus Star Wars shows, right? Sure, yeah. Um, very different expectations there. But when the Doctor Who restart came about in around 2005... Yeah, we're seeing a lot of effects that look really cheesy. Yes. And to the extent, we still are seeing kind of cheesy effects on these shows. Um, and now, I want to preface this by saying I am a lapsed Doctor Who fan. <laughs> so I have missed a few years. But I think they've always been very good with puppetry and stuff like that. But the the meep in this episode is very well done. Sure. <laughs> right. I, I was speaking more in terms of, of things that we had seen prior to uh, the special, where obviously they dumped some money into this. Yeah. As compared to what I thought the show was pretty much known for, which was kind of sci-fi fun on a budget. Yes, uh, that's yeah. fair enough. But it does a lot with its budget. It manages to pull off some pretty cool things, even when it looks kind of cheesy. You're kind of you invested remember Farscape? in it. Farscape? Yes, very, very similar to Farscape. I never watched it. <laughs> <laughs> but the look but, the look and feel of it are very similar. the look and the similar. feel is the same, yeah. And people have told me that that was really good, too. So it seems like this would be something that would be really hard to just, like, jump into now. The nice thing about having different performers take over the role of the Doctor is that, like any long-running drama show, you can kind of dip in and dip out, but there are very clear starting and stopping points on Doctor Who. So I say I'm a lapsed viewer. I feel like a lot of fans out there are like me. They're lapsed viewers. And I think that's why this special exists. I think uh -huh. that's why David Tennant is back. I think that's why Donna Noble is back. Because they're like, we got to get these guys back in. And I mean people like me that are out there and we watch the show for several years and then we just dipped at some point. So I haven't Now was watched... it the doctor that made you leave? Like, no, I'm just not no, as happy was, with this character? Not at all. It, it just became harder for me to watch just because I was living overseas at the time. And you'd think living closer to Britain would make it easier to watch a show like this, but it wasn't easier for me. Mm. So I watched up through the 11th Doctor's departure. So that would be Matt Smith. And how many Doctors uh, have there been? This is number 14. David Tennant coming back is the... Is 14. 14th. Okay. Yes. Now, I saw a couple episodes of the Peter Capaldi run 
and I have seen none of Jodie Whittaker's run. But I am back now because David Tennant is, and I'm like, okay, it's three specials. I can commit to that. Sure, yeah. And then the new season starts with the 15th Doc, who is going to come about at the end of these three specials. So, yeah, so this is a real short run, but it's a return to what I and a lot of modern Doctor Who fans consider the golden era of this run is the David Tennant years. Like, David Tennant is, I don't want to speak up too loudly, but I think most of us can agree that he was our favorite. Right. Okay. Out of the current crop. So it's just exciting to see him back. So, yeah, I'm in it, you know, and I feel like a lot of fans are doing it, too. They brought back Russell T. Davies as showrunner for this, and he hasn't been on the show in a while, and I think that they're really trying to recapture something. Yeah. That being said, I don't think there's a bad time to jump into this show. As long as it's like at the beginning of a doctor's tenure, that's the best time to jump in. Right, right. But having never really watched it before, I'm interested to hear your take on this and whether the show did enough to kind of bring you up to speed, because this one does require some prior knowledge. Yeah, it does a little recap at the beginning. I'm enough in fandom that I understand the idea of a greater universe, so I'm not completely lost at the idea as I come in, and I'm prepared to know that there are things I'm not going to know. So in watching that, it still felt like a reunion show, even to me. These characters don't remember each other, and they can't, but they have to for the show to work, so you know it's going to happen. And there was enough there that you kind of felt like, okay... I can see that these two have history. Those two actors have really good chemistry. Just from my limited experience, I could tell that it was sort of like, okay, well, this is a return to form. And yeah, it felt to me like a reunion show, but I also wasn't lost by the narrative. It was an individual story. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end that I could follow. Now, obviously, there was a lot I was missing because... They don't spend a lot of time telling you who this doctor is or how he acts or what his personality is. You just have to kind of realize that that's all been built up in the past and this is who this character is and all of the decisions he makes and the way that he acts and all of that stuff has already been formed. You know, there's no introduction to the character. To be fair, usually when a doctor regenerates, that new doctor's first adventure really just throws them in there. And you're just kind of discovering it alongside that doctor. Uh, One of the best ones, I think, was when David Tennant regenerated into Matt Smith's 11th Doctor. And Matt Smith's first full episode on his own involved the TARDIS crash landing in London. He comes out in the backyard of this young girl and is just like, I I need fish sticks and custard. I guess I like that. You know, (laughs) he's just sort of discovering his own tastes and his own behaviors and quirks in real time alongside you. That seems to me like an introduction, though. It's a little bit more like that regularly, where you're both kind of finding your way through it. I do think that this time around, it's just taken for granted that this is more or less the 10th Doctor that we're seeing again. So, yeah, I I could see that experience. So all of that was already there, but it was engaging, and I actually was thoroughly entertained by it. And I guess spoilers we're gonna spoil the shit out of this oh for sure for sure i mean we can't talk about it without talking about the effectiveness of the twist that comes about halfway through the episode absolutely so go watch it Uh, i didn't want anybody to jump in and feel like they got spoiled by something nevertheless 
Where did the doctor land this week? <laughs> so the doctor, the doctor, okay. fresh off his regeneration, has landed in what I assume is present day London. He exits the TARDIS, starts looking around, and almost immediately runs into the last person he wants to run into, Donna Noble, his previous companion, who was left basically with the mind of a Time Lord that would destroy her from the inside out if she ever remembered who the Doctor was. Her mind was wiped. This is something she's lived with for 15 years now as she's married and raised a family in London. She feels like there's missing time in there somewhere, but she doesn't quite recognize the Doctor when she sees him again. And their paths cross multiple times in this episode. And meanwhile, a spaceship crashes in London, or at least that's what it looks like. It turns out it landed precisely where it intended to, and certain factions seem to have an interest in the creature that was on board the ship called the Meep, and <laughs> the Meep becomes hunted through the streets of London, runs into Donna's daughter, a trans daughter, named, oddly enough, Rose, and if you're a Doctor Who fan, that name has a lot of weight. So it's interesting that when Jason transitioned, the name Rose was the one she chose to take on. Uh, but we soon find out that the Meep is not all it appears to be. We soon find out that Donna remembers that she's not all she appears to be. And we find out that Rose, too, is not quite all she appears to be. It all comes together as Doctor Who typically does in a spectacular finale that just crosses the line into the utterly fantastic <laughs> as as the show is want to do but it really leaves things in a fun place moving forward into the next two specials but anyway uh, i should also mention that this episode the star beast is adapted from a comic strip that was written for the doctor who magazine back in 1980 oh do you know who illustrated that comic strip of course i do who doesn't i mean <laughs> But why don't you tell all of us? It was just... none other than Watchmen's Dave Gibbons. You know what? I actually could have guessed that because I saw that name in the uh, opening titles and I was like, is that the same Dave Gibbons? It's the same Dave Gibbons. How about that? Yeah. That's pretty cool. So there was a lot in this episode to hook me throughout. Sure. Mission accomplished. Sure. It was cool seeing so many of the characters. Sylvia, Donna's mother, is a returning character. Sean, her husband, is a returning character. Oh, is he? Okay. He gets he gets a couple fun parts. In fact, one of the funniest bits is when Sean is driving a taxi, and Sean pulls up, and then the doctor commandeers the taxi to go and check out the spaceship. But there's a point in this episode where the doctor holds up what's called psychic paper. It's a little card he holds up. It's blank, but it basically will show the observer whatever he wants them to see. Oh, okay. And he holds it up for Sean and says something to the effect of that he works for the government and he needs to go check this out. And he says he's Mr. So-and-so and so-and-so. And, -so -and, -so. and uh, Sean's response is like, well, that says Miss on the psychic paper because he just regenerated from a woman. And David kind of slaps the paper and says, oh, catch up. Like, it's not quite calibrated to the fact that he is no longer a woman. He is now David Tennant. Right. Yeah, I did get that, that they were making reference back to her. Now, was, was her series canceled 
or did it run its course as expected and then it's just that one's done now? That's the way it goes. It, it ran its course. Most I was doctors, just wondering if it was like yeah. unpopular and she got canceled. I don't think so. I, like Most of the doctors spend between two to three years on the show. And okay. I think Whitaker had two or three years. I don't remember okay. which. Because, <laughs> again, I didn't watch that series. Well, this is a Quantum Leap podcast. I mean, we don't... Doctor Who is... I mean, yeah, like, yeah. I, I only have time for one show, guys. Right. <laughs> they run their course, and then the doctors switch out. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out whether the change to a female doctor had been successful or whether it was really just shouted down by the bros out By the there. online mob yeah. who, who wants to ruin all good things. Yeah. yeah. I'm but sure there was vitriol online. I was just largely oh, removed from it. I mean, that's the only reason I know about it, honestly. I mean, you can't escape that stuff these days. But... Well, the next doctor is black. Oh, okay. Go woke, go broke is hey, what I always say. In the few notes I took, I did mention that this episode is very subtly woke in a way that Quantum Leap isn't. Quantum Leap, it's up front. This is the main thing. But the way we find out that Rose is trans is because kids ride by on bikes bullying her. Yeah. It's a very subtle way that supports the narrative. I don't want to say there's no attention brought to it because it's a very important plot point later on. But it's just handled in a way that doesn't feel heavy-handed. Right. I didn't even really pick up on that immediately that she was trans. Uh, it was just, the, oh, I'm different and I don't know why is the way I took it to begin with, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing then that you felt like this was pretty good. You enjoyed I, it? I enjoyed it. Good stuff? Yeah, I enjoyed a lot of it. It, it kind of captured all of the coolest elements that you might find in a Doctor Who episode. Somehow there were... Laser gun shootouts. There was a <laughs> right. lot of rapid fire dialogue and just funny moments. Sure. An adventurous romp is what I would call this episode. <laughs> okay. With a murderous guess... villain that is also just undeniably cute. <laughs> right. Like, certain elements play against expectations. There's always this maybe we don't know the full story of what's going on here kind of element. Okay. Okay. So is it successful then? as a return to a show that you love. Like, obviously, this, like I said, felt like a reunion show. And what reunion show ever lived up to its original run? I can't personally think of one. I think it probably did in that it feels like, obviously, time has passed, and that's one of the biggest points of this episode, that so much time has gone by for Donna and her family. But it feels like no time has passed. Everybody is back in these roles. Things are familiar again. Okay. And there's still that mystery element running under it of, of why. Why now? Why are the two of them suddenly thrust back together? Other than the fact that we want to bring in fans of the Tennant and Catherine Tate years. Right. Yeah, but I, I thought it was quite good. I'm glad that you said that there are more of them, that there are, there are three of them, right? Because one of the things that I was thinking is like, obviously, there's this larger story about the mind of the Time Lord being in Donna Noble, played by Catherine Tate. Correct. Who was on The Office. Yes. In a yeah, character good. that I really didn't like. <laughs> She's one of the most beloved 
companions of the resurgence of Doctor Who from the Christopher Eccleston run to present day. So, yeah, I, I got Donna. that. People like her a lot. Did not uh, like her on The Office, and that was my only experience with her. <laughs> but that being said, I'm glad that there are three of these because on first viewing, they obviously have this larger story about the Time Lord being stuck in her brain. And all of that comes to some manner of resolution in this special, but is, from everything that I could see, was completely separated from the story with the Meep and the other aliens that were chasing it. Yes. Completely independent of one another. And I thought, this feels like the two stories should be congruent somehow. Well, I do think that the part of the episode that becomes dependent upon Donna's recollection and her mind of a Time Lord condition is the very end where the Doctor and Donna are trapped in separate compartments on the Meep ship trying to stop it from blasting off and destroying London. Right. And Donna has to shut down half of the ship, and the only way to do that is by remembering. Well, see, that's... And her that's ability what... to go around and do all that stuff is not just Donna. That is also that mind trapped inside of her. I don't feel like they explained exactly what they were doing there, or even where they were in the ship. I think the script just said, just run around turning yeah. dials and flapping switches. That's, yeah, that's like, what you need to do here. I guess I just take on face value that doctors and time lords just kind of know everything. To me, it seemed like, okay, they crawled into this thing and he's throwing switches and turning dials. And he's, I guess, well, the Meep is trying to escape and its engine is going to blow up London as it takes off. Right. Obviously, he's trying to shut the ship down. But, like, how does he know how to do all this? Usually they set up a goal and say, this thing is happening. We have to do this to stop it in a traditional narrative. And this one seemed like, it's getting away. Jump on this ship. And, like, okay, well, well what are you doing? And then this wall comes down in between them, separates right. them into two compartments. It happens to be a clear wall. It and is like, strange that they would, that who would put a wall for? here? <laughs> yeah, like, what is the wall there this seems for? Like, it seems like engineering, but, like, it's not like engineering on Star Trek where that wall comes down and it separates you from the warp core. That's right, right, right. It's like, this is the wall that comes down breach. in the middle of engineering for no reason. You have coolant leak. We've got a coolant leak. <laughs> yeah. And then Jordy has to roll under the closing door. Yep, always. Uh, yeah, no, but very similar. I did think of mm -hmm. that when that wall came down. I was like, what is that wall doing there? What, what is it there for? <laughs> like, That's fair just enough. To, just to separate them? Yeah, so to your first thing, we just assume the Doctor knows how to do this stuff. Yeah. I think the reason the Doctor needs a companion is because the companion is always the character that we're seeing the events through. Okay. And the doctor just shows up and knows all this wacky stuff and it just starts telling you, okay, we've got to do this, this, and this. And it's like, you're watching and you're like, I don't even know what's going on yet. <laughs> what are you doing over there? So to that extent, that's a pretty common occurrence. That's a little frustrating for me where if I'm honest. The doctor, now bear in mind, the doctor's thousands of years old at this point and has a lot of experience with a lot of different things. Yeah, but, that's fair. Um, <laughs> But uh, the Doctor is just this 
zany character, almost archetypal in the sense that Rick Sanchez is like kind of the same way, only it's played for comedic effect completely there, you know, where it's like he just shows up. It's like, oh, yeah, this is this. And he flips a couple switches and it's like resolves whatever the conflict was in that episode. The doctor does this sort of stuff all the time, but that knowledge is just baked into his persona. Right. And whatever knowledge is not, whatever he needs help with can be achieved through his sonic screwdriver, which is basically a wand. Yeah, it's a wand. It can do whatever you need it to do. Right. I knew he had a wand, too. I left that off my list. He had a wand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, narratively speaking, without that frame of reference, because I wasn't clear on what was trying to be accomplished, I didn't feel like the stakes were as high as they could have been. So here's my thinking, and I'm probably way off base because if you're a Doctor Who fan, you understand these things. I'm not sure. But <laughs> what it felt like to me was... We know the city's in peril, but the other half of the story with the Time Lord and the mind is requiring this character to make an obvious sacrifice. We're under the assumption that as she remembers, she's going to die. Okay. And it felt like for me that those two stories needed to be far more connected in order for that sacrifice to feel earned to do this specific thing. Okay, I'm saving the city, but I'm sure the city's been saved a million times. It's it's kind of like Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Okay. When Spock sacrifices himself, Uh it's like an earned moment because they spent the whole movie talking about mortality. Yes. It opens with Kirk's birthday and getting older and now he needs reading glasses and, and that sort of thing, yes. Yeah, exactly. It's all about aging gracefully and facing mortality which, like which nobody facing did better the... than Ricardo Montalban but <laughs> right the hint though is that it's never believing in the no win scenario and this was a no win scenario unless you were willing to make a sacrifice so my point being that that sacrifice was earned by virtue of the story whereas this sacrifice because I didn't have any history for it, she's just, oh, man, we're in a pinch now. I guess you have to die. Right. Which felt... A little bit forced. A little bit forced. It's a little bit circumstantial. It's a little plot convenience. But I, I think that part of that is just straight. We need to tell a story, but we also need this story to function as a way to wipe the slate with Donna so these two can have a couple more adventures together. Well, see, yeah, the fact that she ultimately survives kind of changes things. It's not as big a deal, but as the story was unfolding, I get that this is a big deal, but for some reason, this obvious main character's death seems like a much bigger deal than this little mouse thing getting away. I think what the show tries to lean on in, in terms of making that sacrifice feel like it's warranted is knowing that her daughter is there inside the blast radius. And that's really all we've got to hang on this moment is that London's going to blow up. And if Donna doesn't do something, her daughter's going to die. I mean, obviously we can all agree. Nobody cares about Sean. (laughs) I don't even know which one Sean is. (laughs) Donna wouldn't take his last name. Nobody tells him anything. You know, that guy was a returning character. He's great. He's great. (laughs) Oh, see, I, he, 
read to me as one of the new characters. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, did not know that he was a returning character. He's such a great guy. Like, the ending, and not in the way that, you know, Tom is a great guy on Quantum Leap. I mean, like, <laughs> Sean, is, Sean is, like, a great guy in that, like, I really want to kind of hang out with this dude. Yeah. Like, as, okay. he's, as, as Donna's getting back on the TARDIS at the end, Sean's like, eh, sure, go with him. And Donna's like, you don't have a problem with this? <laughs> he's like, I mean, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> like of course not just great dude but uh but i guess the biggest story for donna in this is her relationship with rose that's the part that i kind of buy into in terms of the sacrifice it's not so much about saving london it's about saving one small chunk of london yeah yeah okay I'm thinking now, and maybe it won't, maybe this is just a chance to get Donna back to where she needed to be, but I was thinking, well, if there are two more of these, maybe there'll be more of that that draws it out a little bit longer or puts a little more emphasis on that. But On that plot um, line, yeah. It's possible. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what the next episode is about. Again, I haven't really paid that much attention. I didn't even know this was going to be on Disney+. Plus. I thought I was going to have to struggle to watch it some, but then it's just... Oh, Disney Plus is the new home of Doctor Who? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah, flipping through it, I realized that the Orville is on there, too. Yeah. Weird. The Orville. Just weird what's well. popped up on there. But Meanwhile, so, where's Willow, Disney Plus? What have you done with Willow? <laughs> I didn't watch that. My wife did. I thought I was going to have time. I just, she got a kick out of it. I just assumed I'd have time to watch it, but no. Also, Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal was on there too, and that was really the movie good. or the the new show. The new show, and it didn't last. I think Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance was on Netflix. Oh, was it? It was. It premiered no, on Netflix. It was. Yeah, streamers. It's got to be a hit, or they're done with it. Right. But it is a opportunity for things like Doctor Who to come back, or your Marvel one shots that they're doing with the Halloween episode last year, and it's a platform for new things as well. Yeah. So, like, I never thought Doctor Who and Disney would intersect, but. It's the BBC, right? Yeah. And who owns the BBC? I, does Rupert Murdoch own them? I just assume it's Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's the case, then, yeah, know. what are they doing on Disney Plus? The Roy family? I don't well, know. Well, the Dial of Destiny is coming to Disney Plus here. Finally, soon, too. finally, Dial of Destiny is going to be on there next week. I think maybe I'll have an opportunity to watch. Or maybe that. it's this week. Is it the first? Huh. It's I'm coming not... soon. It is coming yeah. soon. I hope you can watch that. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, our Dial of Destiny episode will come out. Right. Finally. <laughs> finally. Well, we're waiting for some other uh, Quantum Leap episode to air. We were talking about the daughter, and I feel like. That was a good solution to the problem. So the mind of the Time Lord is a power that was too great for one person to hold. But much like the Guardians of the Galaxy holding the Power Stone, mm -hmm. if it's spread amongst more than one being, uh, two people can handle it. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yes. And it was also interesting because it just speaks to the non-binary nature of Rose Noble, right? She was uniquely able to take on this power because she sort of walked between genders at the end. Okay. There's a bit in there about how the doctor is either male or female, but Rose is kind of both, right? 
I guess, yeah. That's a tight rope to walk, you know? But you're right, they do it subtly enough that it's not like a very special episode of Quantum Leap. Right. You know? Right. I think the episode that we saw, uh, Let Them Play, that's the transgender episode of Mm -hmm. Quantum Leap. And I remember that episode. It was fairly effective in its messaging, I thought. Right. Right. We didn't have a whole lot of uh, bad to say about it. But it was very heavy handed. There's no subtlety whatsoever in that episode. Right. Well, yeah. Subtlety in this episode. It's an element of this episode, but it's not what the episode was about. Like, you can say, Let Them Play is the transgender episode of Quantum Leap, because that's what it was. That's the transgender episode. That was the focus of everything. Here is just an aspect of a character that tend to play out in the plot. So... The main narrative that they need to resolve within the next two episodes is why this face again. Right. And it wasn't to say goodbye. That So they thought that maybe this doctor was back in order to say goodbye to her because she had to die. Right. That turned out to not be the case, but it was an interesting idea. He saved her and restored her memory, but I still think there's more to it than that, Right. Right. We will see if there's more to it than that as we kind of move through the remainder of these specials. But uh... So do we know if the new series is going to be on Disney Plus? I think it is. It must be, right? Yeah. I don't think they would just show like the specials on Disney Plus. And, and then not air it. Yeah, but it's yeah. probably still going to be on the BBC as well, I would think. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, do they have Disney Plus in Britain? probably everywhere has disney plus i was gonna say the meep can get disney plus (laughs) yeah so let's talk about dive into that i want to talk about the meep yeah the meep is uh this character that yasmin finney as rose stumbles across in an alleyway this is the character that is being hunted through london that has run away from their spaceship it's et folks It is E.T., yeah. It's it's the cutesy, sort of... Mousy. Seemingly very um, vulnerable alien creature. And injured. And injured that just needs help. And, right. well, Rose is really eager to help the Meep along, providing the Meep with shelter in her sort of craft shed out behind the noble house. I thought this was really cool because immediately there's a little Easter egg in there for fans of the previous runs where you realize that a lot of the little characters she's knitting Mm -hmm. are creatures that Donna and the doctor encountered in their adventures together. Right. Um, I thought that was really cool when that was revealed. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. uh, But I could imagine seeing it if, if you knew the series well enough. Yeah. That would have been really cool. And also kind of a hint. Yes, exactly. Did you think it was like a nod or did you think it had something to do with that character well, or those stories. Yeah, there was just too much. All the little knitted plush toys were callbacks. So you have to think that the memory exists somewhere, right? Right. It's just a matter of whether these are stories that Donna told her growing up without realizing that they really happened to her or whether they're memories that Rose just sort of has rattling around somewhere without realizing where they came from. That turns out to be the case. Right. That, the so that was really, really neat. And even the fact that her 
shed is kind of made up to look like a TARDIS, kind of. That, oh, yeah. yeah. The end, it kind of points that out as well. And it's like, oh, yeah, she was really just remembering past lives left and right, wasn't she? But the Meep is given shelter. And when the Doctor finally comes in and finds the Meep, his first reaction is, oh, so cute. You know, it's like just this precious little E.T. creature that is being pursued by imposing lizard people throughout London. They even pulled off the E.T. thing where he hides in the stuffed animals. (laughs) Yeah. Trying to hide from Donna and just sit still within the stuffed animals. Does a good Um, job until Donna pokes the meep directly in the eye. (laughs) Yeah, and unfortunately it blinks. Yeah. And you know what? When it blinked... how, How stupid is this? My thought when it blinked was... Oh, the aliens have to keep their eyes moist, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course. Like, why would it? It's an alien. Like, it just strikes me as odd that these things also have to blink. Of course they do. You remember that alien in Men in Black that had the extra set of eyelids? That was the whole thing. Yeah, those were gills, man. It had to breathe. (laughs) Anyway, I don't know. But that thought actually crossed my brain, which is like, why is it blinking? Why does it have to blink? It has to blink, too? Yeah. Gotta, but gotta nevertheless, keep them eyes moist. Uh, well, they are big eyes. So as the doctor and company try to get away, escape from these uh, factions that are coming after the Meep, one is a group of unit soldiers that is being mind controlled, and the other is a group of, as I said, interstellar lizard people, seemingly wreaking havoc on right, London. right. Well, we we know that. I mean, giant lizard people—they're no good, right? We, right. We know they're no good. The doctor starts to suspect that maybe things aren't as they seem when the lizard people's laser blasts do absolutely no damage to the car as it's driving away. He uh, determines this in a very fun way where he becomes sort of a judge and and has the lizard people join and the meep is there and he gets down to the bottom of it very quickly that the meep is in fact a uh, war criminal. (laughs) (laughs) A savage, ruthless war criminal and the uh, lizard people. Are just Rarth, are space police, just trying to take him into custody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kudos to me. I saw that coming a mile away. It's not a unheard of revelation. You know, this kind of story has been told before. Like, sure. you, you flip, like, oh, the cute one's the evil one. I remember the first time I saw that trope, though, it was on an episode of Lost in Space. And I'm talking about, like, the old Lost in Space. Sure. Like, it used to come on mid-morning during the summers or whatever in front of the 66 Batman or whatever. Sure, yeah. You know, uh, so I would watch some episodes of this Lost in Space, and I, I went ahead and looked it up just for the purpose of this. The episode called The Golden Man. Huh. And basically okay. they land on this planet, and the handsome, good-looking Golden Man is looking for help to capture this evil criminal and of course it's super ugly and you know it's a monster basically but they flip it on its head like can't read a book by its cover the golden man is the evil one sure and i've always remembered that for some reason lost in space um and of course you've seen it numerous times since then but that's kind of what happens here the meep which at one point was very vulnerable and fragile and cute and soft finally shows its fangs yeah what they did that i really like with the meep is they made a character that works in both modes when it finally goes savage 
you can't see it as cute anymore. It's like it's, you're taken off guard by just how just vicious this thing looks. Yeah, and it really does cease to look cute, but the design hasn't changed. It goes from looking like a Furby to looking like a Nexu from Star Wars Attack of the Clones. <laughs> One of the arena beasts at the end of Attack of the Clones that oh, was okay. like a big furry cat and had tons of sharp teeth. Okay. The Nexu was the beast that came after Padme in the arena. Right, right. In Attack of the Clones. And it it really just, it's just sort of rows of teeth. And yeah, yeah. It's such a savage little creature. And I want to shout out. Yeah, the designs were cool. Shout out to Miriam Margolis, who did the voice of the Meep. She played Professor Sprout in the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> okay. That's a little bit of trivia there about that. But man, that little creature, savage little motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> And the big bug people were pretty cool, too. Oh, like, yeah, they were fun, the, yeah. They leaned more towards that kind of television budget look. Mm -hmm. It felt like they were just trying to fit it within the rest of the continuity, you know, similar designs and whatnot. But the thing that I liked about them is that they kind of stood without feet. You know, they didn't <laughs> yeah. have feet. Like, right. they just basically had stumps and, like, I don't know. It seemed... Like an interesting take. I will tell you that throughout Doctor Who, regardless of what the like effects look like, like sort of ready for TV budget wise, the designs of the characters and especially alien characters are really bold. And a lot of times just you've never seen something that looked like this. Hmm. Like, yeah. Okay. Like take Star Wars cantina scene. It's the same sort of vibe where like around every corner there's this alien species you never could have thought of. They don't all have to be humanoids with funny foreheads. They're profoundly <laughs> not. Like a lot right. of them are not humanoid. And the other thing that I've always been really impressed about this show is to a lot of the designs of the recurring alien or, or villain characters they've stuck to over the decades. The Daleks always look basically the same. The Cybermen always look basically the same. Okay. I don't know who either of those things are, but I'll take your word there, for it. There are tweaks throughout the decades, but by and large, it's like the design of the Daleks always were great, and they've been very consistent throughout. That's one of the things that bothered me about this Star Trek Discovery and their choice to change the way that Klingons look. Oh, the Klingons were, they never looked more jacked up than they did <laughs> Yeah, like what's the deal? Like, why would you do that? It's supposed to be, I don't know. I mean, it didn't bother me that much because I don't get caught up in that necessarily. You know, just be creative with your show. I That's never fine. needed an explanation for it. Right. But the disco Klingons looked a lot more like the the Kelvin timeline Klingons that we see in Into Darkness. And I don't know if that was a deliberate choice or not. Right, and then they probably look different in Enterprise, too. At any rate, that's a whole other podcast. Well, you know, <laughs> the Daleks look more consistent than the Klingons do over long periods of time. I think we can safely say that. So the Doctor does have a recurring villain. There are several recurring villains throughout the show. Okay, like a rogues gallery? Uh, yeah, I mean, sort of. Like the Cybermen he has to fight over and over again. The Daleks, the Master is another rogue Time Lord that he has to fight okay. periodically. So who was the police captain that was in the wheelchair? This is a new but character. She, 
She worked with the Doctor? She was a Time Lord? No, uh, Shirley Bingham. She yeah. is a new member of Unit, and Unit has been around for a while. Okay, that's what I don't... Yeah. So Unit, I can't remember when we first saw it. I feel like it's been around for a very long time, since the 60s, probably. But they can provide you with rockets for your wheelchair. So basically, <laughs> the whole thing with UNIT is that they're a military organization that I think works for the UN, but the doctor has worked with them periodically. So while uh, okay. Shirley is a new character, she knows of the doctor. And that's one of the things I really liked about her introduction. She's like, I think I get a pay bump just for talking to you. You know, yeah, like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's this thing like the doctor is well known throughout unit unit was also a part of the Torchwood series with John Barrowman, which was a spinoff of Wait, Dr. Who. You ever hear of Torchwood? Oh. I know the name. I didn't realize anything spun off of Dr. Who. That's interesting. Yeah. It was a Dr. Who spinoff. In fact, if you scramble the letters of, Torchwood, it spells out Doctor Who. Oh. How about that? There's another, another little bit of knowledge for you. <laughs> yeah, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, um, okay, so she's she's part of like a secret police force. Yeah. That works for the UN. Yeah, like an investigative unit. Uh, unit. But like the Kingsmen. Yeah, kind of like King, that, but more like science oriented. Okay. What are you talking about? The Kingsmen were totally science-oriented. <laughs> they had that crazy gel that could save oh, you from true. being shot in the face. So I look at I look at unit more like. Uh, do you remember? No comment on that, huh? I'm gonna I'm gonna get this. This is even deeper into the weeds, though. Do you remember the organization Who from the Excalibur comic series? No. There were a government agency called the Weird Happenings Organization. Oh, okay. That's what unit is like. Guys, don't even bother going back and reading Excalibur. I'm just going to... I don't think anybody was going <laughs> to... I don't think we were... Uh, you Anglophiles out there might have already done it, so just everybody else <laughs> don't worry about it. So the big spaceship that lands in the steel factory so that it could be repaired, that was the Meeps ship. Yes. But what was the like the glowing force or whatever that was in the ship that takes over the soldiers and gives them their glowing eyes. Yeah, well, obviously, the Meep needed an army. I don't know whether it's gas, whether it's something psychic and the Meep's controlling them, or whether it's something that just, like, compels them to follow a specific directive. But I think that's left vague early on because they want to keep the Meep's intentions vague, and they want to keep right. those two factions you know, me guessing like who's in the right who's in the wrong here it's like the loki staff like the, the loki pokey stick like the mind you know. stone yeah and the scepter yeah. yes it's kind of like that it's not like loki was giving hawkeye specific directions step by step hawkeye just sort of knew what he was supposed to be doing in he, service what he needed to accomplish to, yeah. to loki's goal right and i think it was just kind of function the same way kind of one of those things it's like yeah i probably shouldn't think about it too much is it gas? Is it psychic? Is it, what is it? We don't know. Because when it happened, and of course you're just trying to puzzle it all out, and I have fewer pieces to the puzzle than anybody else, and I thought it was probably an intelligence of its own. So I kind of thought that there were like three things in place. This weird energy that was on the spaceship, the crazy bug people, and the meep. 
But the meep will probably be back, don't you think? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, there's only... It, with three specials, I don't know if we have time to bring back a lot of these elements. They may just it, be, like, more three standalone stories. But when it got beamed away, it was in the process of saying something like, I'll be back, blah, 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 blah. Oh, they always say that. Yeah, maybe the meep will come <laughs> back. I, I wouldn't mind the meep coming back. I think it's a fun, funny villain. <laughs> I guess if they've only got three, I personally would prefer to see something new. If they do a whole new story... I might be better with this story being so independent of the greater, the emotion of the story. The emotional story was Donna's, and then the action-adventure was the Meep. Yeah, yeah. If they do another episode with them on their adventure, and it's just a whole new story, then it's easier to accept that that's kind of how these things work. It's like the Viewisk universe as soon as Jay and Silent Bob came out, it made me like Dogma better because I realized, okay, so these characters are going to exist in totally different stories. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like, you can have Clerks, and you can have Jay and Silent Bob strike back, and you can have Dogma, and they can be entirely different movies, but they're all strung together, and it's a shared universe. I didn't like Dogma when it came out because I was like, this this is so different from Mallrats and chasing Amy. And that makes sense. So. Yeah. I mean, Quantum Leap, we talk about how Quantum Leap's kind of positioned to be that kind of show. Doctor Who is too, really. Yeah. Doctor Who certainly absolutely veers more towards sci-fi week after week after week. Right. This okay. is yeah. first and foremost, a science fiction show. Quantum Leap should be first and foremost, a drama show, but the sorts of stories you can tell within these frameworks are wildly different. You know, sure. you can have a Doctor Who episode where he's fighting aliens in a space station that's about to fall into a black hole. And then the next week, have an episode where he meets Vincent Van Gogh, you know? Right. Which okay. is, like, those are things that have happened on this show, right? So it's like, right. I, it's like I, I, you can have anything and everything in between. So how much time travel is involved in this show? Because they didn't time travel at all in this. Yeah, there was no time travel in this episode. one. I mean, this I would say there's a substantial amount of time travel. About 50% of it is time travel usually. Because he's a time lord, whatever that is. Right. right. Do you know what the letters TARDIS stand for? I do not. Uh, it stands for Time and Relative Dimensions in Space. Okay. So... This show is just as much about time travel as it is space travel. We're going all over the place, except for that one time where the doctor was like exiled to Earth and like the whole series just took place on Earth in present day and there was no time travel. Which doctor was that? I was like the fifth or the sixth doctor. It was a while ago. It's a long time. Yeah. You know, budget cuts, man. It was just budget yeah. cuts. It's like an entire bottle season. It was, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it kind of comes and goes. Some stories are about going to alien worlds. Some are about visiting the past. And it can be about anything and everything. Why did the interior of the TARDIS change? Oh, the interior of the TARDIS changes when the Doctor regenerates. It's like it all just kind of regenerates together. The TARDIS is connected to him. But he didn't seem to recognize the interior of his ship. Right, no, he didn't. It changed. It changed while he was out. Because he regenerated, but even though he regenerated as himself. He regenerated, piloted the TARDIS to there, got out of it, and then it did its work. Which happens okay. sometimes. Okay. All right. 
Sometimes. Sometimes it just changes. Sometimes, you know, we don't see the change. Sometimes we do. This is a very pronounced change of the interior of the TARDIS. Especially if you look back to the old David Tennant episodes where the interior of the TARDIS is much darker. It's, you know, there's bright flashing lights. But this one, it's like this big, white, sterile environment. Probably the largest TARDIS set they've had. It seems big to me anyway. Right. Um, But, uh... Yeah, that's why he's kind of flipping out, and him and Donna are just kind of running yeah. around it at the end. Yeah, they're just running like, around in it, yeah. Look at this thing. Look at this thing we've got, you know? Yeah. And that leads to a really, really great moment to close out on, where uh, the doctor observes that there's even a coffee maker in this one. And Donna <laughs> yeah. says, I don't know if you want me to get coffee out of this thing. I spilled coffee all over my boss's computer at work. That's how I lost my job. And then <laughs> within a matter of minutes... Donna has spilled coffee on the TARDIS console, and that's why it goes on the fritz and kicks them to wherever they're going next. Right. I thought that was kind of funny. I did laugh yeah, at that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess my last question then would be, like, what is the goal of a Doctor Who? Superman's a superhero. Ben Song is a time traveler with a goal. What is Doctor Who's deal? Does he go around fighting injustices? Does he just have... Like, what's his what's his deal, man? Yeah, I mean, he just kind of goes around, man. He's a real go-with-the-flow kind of guy. He just shows up places, solves problems, and then heads but off somewhere else. Plan to go help people? I don't or is think it so. Just... I don't think he's a man with a plan. <laughs> okay. I, so you how know does he get to be the doctor? Well, uh... And there are other doctors... Uh, concurrently no uh, well well, he was for a long time the last of the time lords i don't know if that's still the case or not because again I'm, I'm a few years behind on all well of it that. can't be because don is a time lord well there was yeah there was that was a whole thing there but um <laughs> i mean as far as being from the planet gallifrey which is his home world okay so he's an alien he is an alien the doctor okay. stole the tardis which is a device that should be able to take on the shape of anything but it malfunctioned and is stuck in the disguise of a police call box. That's why it always looks like that. Okay. Stole it, initially took his, I want to say niece and nephew maybe, on adventures with him, and then from time to time needs to take so on a new So he's just an companion. alien that stole a spaceship and he flies around having adventures. He flies around having adventures and he always is looking for friends. Really, if you want to know what he's trying to do, he's trying to make friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay I lots you know, and lots it, of friends it just seems like most characters have some kind of set purpose and I guess I was trying to find out what Doctor Who's purpose is yeah he has I, no I, purpose we don't we don't know <laughs> <laughs> that's quite that's quite a question but another little cool nugget is that the term doctor is an English term because of him, not the other way around. Like, he didn't take the word doctor from us. We got the word doctor from him. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I will say having this be a jumping on point for Doctor Who, I was uh, thoroughly entertained by this. I had some narrative hiccups that may have been just by virtue of not having any frame of reference, but felt like it had heart. So I'll give it that. 
and that a lot of people were probably waiting for something like this. So kudos, I say. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I really wasn't sure. I recommended doing this before I had watched the episode. Oh, I did not know that. Hey, there's new Doctor Who. We've brought up Doctor Who on the show before. I know you've never seen it. I know I have. So it could be interesting to see how effective is this episode in terms of bringing in new viewers. What does it feel like for a returning viewer? You know, you get a show that's been on as long as this show has and as many iterations as this show has. No one has watched it all the way through. Right. Like, I mean, nobody who was sitting there in 63 watching the pilot episode when it premiered on the night, here's another spoiler, that Kennedy was assassinated. Oh, gosh. <laughs> 1963. It premiered on November 22nd, 1963, and has watched every episode since then as it aired. I don't think that person could possibly exist. Yeah. But uh, my point is that it's a show that is designed to be encountered at various stages for the first time right right sure it's not the sort of show where you have to go back and watch everything to understand what's going on so i wanted to know how effective this special was not just for someone like me but for someone who had never seen the show before so i would call it effective i don't know i don't know that i would necessarily click on the next one myself just to do it but I don't find a lot of time to watch a lot of television. We know. We know what that's like. Got to carve out that hour for uh, Quantum Leap every week. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's it. Which is supposed to be back next week yeah. with the witch episode. Oh, is the witch episode next week? It's definitely the witches next week. Hot damn. Yes. Yeah. I'm here for In, some witch trials, man. Which tells me that Hannah Carson... Is not a witch. Probably not a witch. <laughs> probably not in this episode. That's a little disappointing. So the Salem witch trials for next week. That'll be good. Well, folks, uh, yeah, we'll be back with our regularly scheduled Quantum Leap focused podcast next week, which is galore. Uh, in the meantime, remember to subscribe to the feed so you never miss an episode and be sure to review the show and tell your friends about it. Tell your mom. Tell your mom she needs you to call, and also moms love Quantum Leap. We're we're okay. uh, <laughs> I tried to get my mom to watch Quantum Leap. Moms like Scott Bakula. Oh, that Scott Bak is such a handsome man. Yeah, <laughs> we're also available on YouTube in audio format with no video. Thank goodness. Whoo boy! And you can like, comment, and subscribe there as well to reach out to us. Oh boy, QLpod at gmail.com is the address. Send us your thoughts about the doctor. Should we watch the remainder of the specials and talk about them at some point? I'm sure we're going to have a break here soon. I'm going to watch them either way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely could. I definitely could and can see myself enjoying it for sure. Yeah. You can find me on Blue Sky if you've been fortunate enough to be invited into that exclusive VIP lounge of a social media <laughs> network. Uh, I'm Captain Burns, C-A-P-T-N-B-E-R-N on Blue Sky. Until next time, folks. I'm Brian. And I'm Nate. And we'll be here in the waiting room. <laughs>